Hello and welcome. The name of this podcast series is Taboo Truths and Tales. So why these particular T words are all in the title, you may may want to know. Fair question. It's because this podcast deals with subject matter considered to be taboo. This podcast deals with a person's perception of truths. And this podcast deals with storytelling tales of fiction told by an individual. You need to choose for yourself which you perceive as truths versus tales because very often in real life that distinction is not crystal clear. This podcast is marked explicit. What that means, you should not listen to this podcast if you happen to be under the age of 18 or if someone under age 18 is listening there with you. Explicit means nobody under age 18 should be listening to this podcast series. So here we go. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Some of you may know me by my nickname as Woody. Whatever you want to call me, I welcome you here to this podcast, which is definitely intended for people who are 18 or older. Thank you. Now let's get started. Time now for a horror story, an original narrated episode of fiction. You will discover the fateful experiences of Dax, someone you will not soon forget no matter what. This kinky taboo tale was written by Don Norman for the Taboo Truths and Tales podcast series. And now let me turn things over to our narrator. I am his mother, so you would expect me to call out his name, David, David Xavier Weston. The sound of my voice startles Dax awake with a snort. My voice has haunted his dreams more often now that I am dead. This haunting is his doing, not mine. The changes his body are experiencing have accelerated. I call him from beyond the living. I am calling him back to himself, to who and what he was before. Dax gets out of bed with difficulty, pulling the blanket he had wrapped himself in tighter around his body. He shambles over to the room thermostat and checks it. Frowning, he uses a finger to dial it up a few more degrees. Do something, Dax. You are freezing. He can feel the migraine wanting to come back, just a tickle of pressure in the back of his skull. So he goes to the bathroom. On the sink are the last two containers of Pituitrex. He struggles to get one container open. His hands, riddled with blotches, are not quite useless yet. But at some point, he figures he will have no choice but to crunch the plastic containers open with his teeth, as long as he still has teeth remaining. Finally, Dax gets the prescription bottle open and dry swallows a couple of the capsules. Just as there is a loud knock at the motel room door. When he answers, the girl, beautiful in a tawdry way, all legs and burnished skin, wearing a revealing dress, as expected, comes into the room. Are you Davy? she asks, tossing back dark curls, a flurry of long, dangling earrings and jangling costume bracelets around her wrists. I'm Sandrine. She paused for a second, her movements exaggerated as she tugged at the low collar of her flimsy black blouse. What the absolute fuck, dude? Feels like the tropics in here. Well, whatever. 
You can have it hot or cold, or any way you like it, since you already paid online. And speaking of which, she keeps talking and talking as if from a prepared script. She plops down on the edge of the sagging bed to take off her strappy black pumps. We need to go over the ground rules. Your online payment gets you the usual, but you need to know in advance. I don't really care for anal, although I will do it, but it's not covered by your prepay. I'll need the cash up front, so we should get that out of the way first. Light bondage is okay. My safe word is Mazatlan. I always wanted to go there, you know, so that's why. Water sports we can do, however, if you do me, I need extra for the dry cleaning bill if you want me dressed. If I do you, then no extra charge, but you buy the beer or whatever you want me to drink before I unload on you. Hey, Davy. What's up? You shy or something? Dax has been standing near the door the entire time. He did not think he had ever heard such a continuous stream of words come out of one person before. Not even Susan at her most excited. No, he answers, and I go by Dax. If you don't mind. Sandrine grins. Dax? Cool. Nice. Masculine name. Nothing faggy about that. She wriggles out of her short dress and in no time she is down to her bra. Okay then. Dax, I just need to step into your office for a minute and we can get this party started. She leaves him behind as she flounces into the motel bathroom. Dax sits down heavily on the edge of the bed. Why is he trembling? Ah, could be he can feel the process taking hold again. Maybe Dax has taken the pituitrex too late this time. Maybe his body has simply acclimated itself to the drug. Dax has not had sex since the last time he and Susan had made love. When was that? Weeks ago? Months? Besides, Dax is honest with himself. He listens to the voice in his head. From a part of his crumbling mind that whispers to him. The voice in his head says fucking was not the reason he called Sandrine to this motel. Okay, lover boy, so what do you want to do first? Sandrine comes into the area by the bed. She is ready for work. She is naked with recently purchased breasts perkly defying gravity and a dark pubic triangle glistening from a fresh going over. She drapes her body over his. She starts by settling into his lap, caressing his head gently. But she stops suddenly. Oh, fuck, man, you are burning up. You okay? Want me to get you some water? Sandrine sees and feels a sudden movement beneath the blanket. Where she expects Dax's chest to be. But no, that's not what she finds. What the fuck is up with you? She gasps. You some kind of weirdo or something? Sandrine, Dax says as he stands up. Just shut the fuck up. He lets the blanket fall to the floor. Sandrine starts screaming when she gets to see what Dax was hiding under that blanket. She turns to run, but her bare feet slip on a threadbare carpeting and she slams against the door, headfirst. She slides to the floor, still sobbing. Mewling sounds coming from her throat. She turns and looks up to see Dax standing over her. This is not what Sandrine expected. She begins screaming again. Dax had selected this particular motel because he knew it was the kind of place where people wouldn't give a shit if they heard the occasional strange noise. But a lot of screaming? At some point, screaming would certainly attract attention. Dax reaches with his right hand to stifle her shrieks. But, wait. Something feels wrong. 
Dax notices that her throat has been opened up wider than her screaming mouth. The gush of crimson that spurts forth is beautiful to him. Absolutely beautiful. Dax allows the hot, copper aroma to fill his nostrils like the tempting scent of a home-cooked meal. His lips are against the slice across her throat. He greedily slurps every drop. The warm flesh invites him to taste it as well, to chew it, to savor it, and draw any remaining blood into himself. And so that is what Dax does. With abandon, no restrictions on him now. The flopping and shuddering of Sandrine's body grows weaker and weaker beneath him until it finally is motionless. When Dax awakens it is a few hours later. Sandrine's half-eaten remains are in that motel bed beside him. He has no idea how she got from the floor. But when he sees her, he throws back his head. The sound that comes from Dax is a keening shrill, an almost reptilian cry that could have been mistaken for anguish. But actually, it is the sound of joy. Later that same day, Susan Denberg arrives at her home. She barely has time to take off her coat when there is a knock on her front door. She opens the door. Stephen Katz bursts in and hugs her. She half hugs him back. Thank God, you're okay, he sighs as he tries to plant a kiss on her lips. But Susan will not let him connect. She turns her head at the last moment of his approach and he only can kiss her cheek. She is a very determined woman. She wants to stay with what she wants to talk about with him. She puts up her right hand to make sure he knows not to talk right now. I just came from the police station, she tells Stephen. Cannot file a missing persons report until the person has been gone 48 hours. Stephen protests, you're shitting me, right? You did tell them who it was who's unaccounted for. Who cares if it has been 48 hours? Susan scoffs at Stephen. Well, we are not talking about Bill Gates being suddenly missing here. Stephen ruffles his reddish unruly mane in frustration. He explains to Susan, we have zero idea where Dax could have gone. He took the Pituitrex, by the way, every single fucking capsule of it. He wanted to fuck with me. Replaced all the meds in those plastic RX bottles with Xanax. A real nice fuck you, isn't it? Always with his goddamn sense of humor. After I spent two years helping Dax get clean off of RX drugs for anxiety and panic attacks, that shit is what he leaves me. Trying to make a statement or something? I cannot figure him out now. So you do think Dax really is playing us? Hard to say. I set up an important meeting with the big pharma firm Meyer Delinsky. They are ready to back us for the exclusive rights to the patent for Pituitrex. Fund human trials. Give us access to their facilities. Everything. I mean, I'm not really pissed off that Dax promised to show up at a meeting and just ghosted us. The brass at MD think of Dax as some sort of biochemical genius. They expect eccentric behaviors like flaking out and not showing up at a meeting. Susan throws up her hands to stop Stephen. Makes no sense. Something is definitely wrong with Dax. Stephen moves closer to Susan and grasps her shoulders, looking at her intently. Does Dax know about us? She pulls away. Stephen, do you think that matters? You should know better. Dax was always off in some little corner of the world, digging up his fossils and bones and whatever. He left me alone. Very frequently, when Dax got back test results and learned he was sterile, he just checked out of the relationship with me. Those results gave him the exit he seems to have wanted. More time for him to be Indiana Jones, I guess. No, archaeologist Stephen muttered. Indy was an archaeologist, not Dax. What difference does that make, Stephen? A paleontologist. 
That's what Dax is, Susan. You think you got a bad deal? Well, you were not the only one who lost out when Dax started spending more time fossil hunting. I thought Dax was completely focused with me on our efforts. Our future. Refining and developing the Pituitrex. We could have a handle on the first drug ever to provide a complete cure for migraines without any side effects. I never understood Dax. What could he find in any cave that would be more important to us than that? You mean, more important to you, Stephen? Susan scolded him. I'm a big girl, Dr. Katz. I can handle honesty. Tell me. Did you seduce me because you really wanted me? Yeah. Or did you whine and dine me to get me into bed with you because you saw that as the most efficient way you could keep tabs on Dax? You are full of shit, Susan. Perhaps. But when I suspected you were only using me to get to Dax, I decided to keep certain things to myself. This is the point in our story where Susan shows she truly loved my son. Susan and Dax. I knew from when I first met her that they belonged together. She goes to her desk, opens the top drawer and tosses a black notebook at Stephen. He catches it in a clumsy, unmasculine way. Susan says to Stephen, a few weeks before Dax stopped taking my calls, I found this notebook in his home where Dax would attempt to hide things from others. I'm not a chemist or a biologist, so I have no idea about most of what he wrote in there. But look, Dax mentions Pituitrex a lot. And something else. Something he says he found on a dig a few years ago. Some kind of chemical, maybe. Stephen glanced hastily through the notebook. His eyes widen as he comes to specific passages. It does look like he was working on something. He had gone rogue. He started integrating what he found on his digs with the drug research we were doing into Pituitrex. And then, you will want to see this, Susan says. She takes a photograph out of a drawer and hands it to Stephen. This was stuck in his notebook when I found it. The photograph shows what looks like an urn that dates back many decades. It is made of what looks like a blue metallic substance. Notice the room where Dax photographed the urn, Stephen. Look carefully at that room. Study it like I did, Stephen. I think it is some sort of tomb or maybe a cave somewhere. Stephen's eyes suddenly narrow. Grab your coat, Stephen says to Susan as he stuffs the photograph of the urn into one of his pockets. There's something I think we both need to see. A heavy, ornate mahogany cabinet, apparently a piece of classic design from half a century ago, stands in the far corner of the ruined lab. One of its locked doors is ajar, skewed on its hinges. Hold tight for a second, Stephen tells Susan. I can break in. I will find what Dax has hidden in there from us. Grabbing a piece of thin metal lying on the floor, Stephen pries open the cabinet door. He turns his beam of light to the inside of that classic cabinet. Susan lets out a sharp scream. The beam of light points to what looks like a terribly deformed face behind glass. The face has milky eyes and two rows of small, razor-sharp teeth, breathing a beak-like mouth. Stephen stumbles back as both of the cabinet doors swing open slowly. The light reveals the entire contents inside. In three glass cases, stacked like a pyramid, Stephen and Susan see a strange blue urn on the top shelf. Beneath it on a second shelf, side by side, are a large, speckled and streaked egg in the glass case on the left. And on the right inside the other glass case is a mystery. Their eyes tell them what they are seeing is impossible. It is horribly misshapen, yet recognizable. It looks like some special effects wizard from Hollywood attempted to replicate a baby pterodactyl. Only this is no rubber or latex replica. 
With his eyes wide, the stunned Stephen angrily shouts out, Oh, God, Dax. What the fuck have you been doing in here? Meanwhile, back at the Lock and Key Motel out on Route 36, the local police just finished blocking off their latest crime scene. In that motel room, they find the naked and mutilated body of a female sex worker. A man's clothes also are found there. The clothing was badly shredded. But no identification for the man is waiting in that motel room. Cops canvassing the area question a handful of guests that were there at the motel. Uniformed officers Vinny Stefano and Greg Milikis are canvassing the alley in back of the hotel. They need to cover all their bases. If there are any witnesses, the two officers need to talk to them. What kind of fucking maniac do you suppose this guy is? Vin asks Greg as they check some disgustingly pungent dumpsters in the alley behind the cheap motel. I got nothing, Greg announces. I'll tell you one thing, that poor chick drew the short straw. It sucked to be her tonight for sure. Vin sneaks a few furtive glances around the back of the motel. Hey, you see Orwell or Dinizio around? The other two men were the detectives in charge of the case. Greg snorts a derisive laugh. You kidding me? And get their Armani suits soiled back here in the slime with us? Fat fucking chance. Good, Vin says. I'm gonna take a quick smoke break. No sweat, Greg assured him. Vin walks a few steps back into that alley. The only illumination available comes from his Bic lighter as he fires up a Marlboro. Vin has not taken more than three drags from it when he heard some banging, shuffling sounds coming from behind him. Hey, who is that? No answer. Retrieving his flashlight from his belt, the other hand on his pistol, Vin takes several cautious steps toward the direction of the sounds he heard. Greg, he says, this better not be you fucking with me. I promise I will hurt you. Closer to the end of the alley near the motel entrance, Greg is looking for the two detectives to report that he and Stefano had found nothing. That is when he hears shuffling steps behind him. Vin, you trying to fuck around here? The rest of the rookie cop's sentence dies in his throat along with a strangled, shocked sound. Vin falls forward. Greg is quick to catch his partner in his arms. Greg sees what happened. Vin's face had been bisected by a deep gash that runs from the left side of his skull, where bone is showing, all the way down through his nose and mutilated lips and through his chin. Greg screams out desperately for help. Several other officers come running. But they all stop suddenly, frozen and silent. Way up in the cool night air, everyone on the ground recognizes the sound of what seems to be large, leathery wings flapping powerfully. Next there is a shadow of something zooming over them way too fast. Orwell and Dinizio draw their weapons and point them at the stars above. But it is too late for that already. Dax instinctively flies towards the house on Gogan Lane he calls home. His outstretched wings give Dax a major speed advantage that nobody could ever hope to match. Back at the house, Susan Denberg and Stephen Katz are waiting. They had called the cops. They cannot understand what is taking so long. They are unaware that a policeman was brutally killed at the motel where the sex worker's body was found. The entire precinct is preoccupied by investigating what happened to one of their youngest rookies. And at the same time, heading towards Dax's house is, well, something that cannot and must not be ignored. Something not of this time. Or this place. This fast-flying threat sporting an impressive wingspan soon will reach the house. My son Dax will soon be able to claim a female to be his mate. You have been listening to a horror story. 
an original narrated episode of fiction written by Don Norman for the Taboo Truths and Tales podcast series. All of us involved in these productions on the Taboo Truths and Tales podcast series want to thank you sincerely for your loyalty and support. This narrated story of fiction marks the completion of five seasons of the Taboo Truths and Tales podcast series for a total of 40 episodes. We hope you will tell others to visit our website taboo-truths-and-tales.net to share what you have heard with others. Thanks again for tuning in today.